All right. Hi. Hi, hi. Back again. Yep. We're back for another one for a little intro. Another intro. Part two of Intro to Sports Psychology. Um, the, the first... The first episode we spoke about more like how to become a sports psychologist or general psychologist and how to call yourself a sports psychologist and that whole process. So today we're actually going to go into, um, you know, how we help athletes or teams or coaches um, and what type of skills we teach them. This is like intro to sports psychology part one, but intro to psychology part two kind of so we're not going to go crazy with the details, but uh, should be hopefully interesting for those who are wondering what sports psychology actually is and what you do. So fingers crossed. Yeah, exactly. Well, as you know, like the question we always get, and we have answered this before, but I feel like the more we ask it the, and the more we answer it, the more it would stick. So what do sports <laughs> psychologists do? <laughs> And it is, it is a constant question that we still get. Um, so I feel like a good little reminder is helpful to get, to really get it into your brain. So there's different ways that you can explain what a sports psychologist does. And look, everyone explains it in a different way. It's not as simple as like, you know, um, a general psychologist or a clinical psychologist, but my interpretation of it, and Nick, you can jump in at any time and and put your little spin to this as well, but right. we help athletes use psychological principles to achieve optimal performance and mental health. So that's one of them. We want to highlight that the goal isn't to only work on issues you may have, but also improve on the strengths uh, so you perform at your best. So we're not only being like, oh, you have an issue. Let's let's fix that. <laughs> we also investigate and and say, yes, what you need to improve on, but also what are the strengths you already have so we can uh, increase them and strengthen them even more. Yeah, would that be – would you agree with that? Yeah, I would. The, the word investigate is an interesting one because it mm-hmm. <laughs> it's almost – it makes us sound like we're detectives at – certain times we're not we're not in the strict sense of like we're trying to find something wrong it's more that it's more like a curiosity rather than an investigation a lot of the time where it's like we wonder why certain things are happening so if something's Mm -hmm. happening we're not sort of going out there to be like uh there's there's definitely something wrong here and we have to dig around in all this stuff that you don't want to talk about or address to try to find what that reason might be It's, it's not like that at all I I'd sort of a lot of the time speak of it as if like they're you as the client are in the driver's seat and we're the passenger. Like we're along for the ride here. We're not the ones driving the car. Mm-hmm. Like you guys are driving the car wherever you want to take us. Yeah. We're, we're happy to go. And every now and then we'll try to guide you where we think it might be helpful. Um, but yeah, that's sort of how I look at it there. Well, yeah. Uh, the athletes do come to us. You know, we're not looking for things wrong with them we're like we're not gonna go up to them and be like oh (laughs) i saw you play and this is this is what you need to work on definitely not um but we're investigating together uh you know what you think you need to improve on essentially um 
And yeah, we just have a look at how psychological and social factors influence an individual athlete or a group's behavioral outcomes. And now these and the behavioral outcome meaning their sports performance or exercise motivation. Do you agree with that? Good summary. Yeah, that's I feel like short and sweet is what you want. Yeah, we don't want don't a long, drawn out, academically worded definition of everything because yeah, it would have switched off already. Yeah, exactly. I had a conversation with someone, oh, was it yesterday or the day before? And I mentioned that I'm, you know, just finished my master's in sports psychology. And they're like, Oh, there's a psychology for them. <laughs> like <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah, it was yesterday. I was at the gym. Uh, and like, oh, that's so like I never thought of that before. And and a lot of people have been the same. And then you explain it to them, and then they start watching, you know, the TV show, like the documentaries coming out, and they're like, oh, this makes so much sense now. But yeah, <laughs> I think I just like reflected upon that. Um, that's also why I thought this would this would be helpful to just have like an easy definition for it all. Yeah, so that's that's actually sticky. such an such an interesting thing that you just outlined there because I like I haven't really thought about it that way. But if if you didn't know much about sports, like you you would hear like there is literally like a, a specialized group of people to work with athletes, like essentially like there's a psychologist and then there's someone who works with an athletic population, and mm-hmm. it sounds like the most niche thing <laughs> to be like this is yeah. my client group is athletes and high performers. And I'm, I'm yeah. basically like trained in how to get the best out of them. That would sound nuts to some people to be like, are you telling me you've, tr- you've, I- you've gone to uni for nearly 10 years to become really, really good at helping athletes and performers get better at their thing. You're like, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. In a, in a, so, yeah. Using psychology, but I don't even think they, they even thought about in that regard that's how new it was it wasn't like thinking about their performance or you know they thought oh athletes just have a psychologist that helps them and like yeah um, I like that so it's quite interesting (laughs) yeah and good on them for just like being straight up about it too and just Mm -hmm. asking you direct like oh really that thing (laughs) yeah that's cool yeah yeah I'm like yeah it's it's true i'm not lying i'm not lying but yeah and then you explain it to them and they're like oh that makes sense like there's so many um there's so many things to it like retirement and performance and and um injuries and the list goes on so just have a think for a second for any of those who train or um play a sport anything like that Think about before we uh, talk about the different factors, what factors affect your ability to perform? And that can be getting up in the morning and and going to the gym or getting up in the morning, going to your Pilates or getting up and going to uh, soccer training, whatever. Uh, Think about what are the things that may affect your ability to perform um, mentally and physically. So, These are just a few of the factors. Um, The list does go on, but we've got pressure. Now, Nick, explain to us how pressure affects our performance. I like that. Like the old saying, pressure creates diamonds. The the thing with pressure is (laughs) pressure is super interesting because 
there are obvious objective measurements of pressure, right? So like I'm thinking top of my head is like AFL grand final sirens, final sirens gone. And you're the, you're the Mm -hmm. forward who has to kick the goal to potentially win for your team and and everything, right? Like the amount of pressure on that individual during that (laughs) point in time would be unreal, both likely to be internally from them, but also externally from the hundred thousand people that are screaming at them and, and everyone else yeah. so, like so that's that's essentially what we're talking about here now obviously it comes in different um like it varies right so there's a little bit of pressure all the way up to like maximum it's not always going to be crazy intense like that but the the most interesting thing that i find with clients is pressure a lot of the time tends to be exacerbated by the self so those who come in and, and feel like there's immense amounts of pressure on them once we sort of pull apart what that looks like a lot of it tends to be built up in their own mind. Now, I'm not mm-hmm. saying that pressure is not real, but a lot of it is built up in the sense that it's like a it's like a um, defensive um, prep preparatory. I think I've said that right. Mechanism of trying to prepare yourself for what's to come, like is it almost like yep. worst case scenario, right? Um, and a lot of the time, that doesn't actually happen. So that's. Yeah, without going down a massive rabbit hole in the first category here, <laughs> um, that's essentially how I'd uh, explain it, yeah. So that's one. Then we've got the classic uh, performance anxiety. Performance anxiety for me is the potential for everything to go wrong without <laughs> having any – It's it, it also ties in to have – uh, having no control over anything. So mm-hmm. pre-game, your mind will be racing, you'll be nervous, and that's super normal. You then try to predict everything that might happen during that game or competition, and your brain will be like, mm-hmm. yep, you're going to fail that, you're going to trip over there, you're going to miss that shot, you're going to do all these things, and it's all just racing all at once, and none of it makes any sense. And then you feel completely out of control, and it makes the anxiety even worse, and the whole thing doubles down. This is this is yeah. a very very common one, very tricky to combat depending on the model that we apply. So we've spoken about it before. Whether we yeah. try to address the actual, um, I'm going to call them dysfunctional. It's not that extreme, but dysfunctional thought patterns that might come up for someone with performance anxiety versus that acceptance model of this is normal. Mm-hmm. Let's just kind of ride through this, and it'll it'll dip on the other side. So, yeah. Yeah, we did a whole episode on it. Episode two was on performance anxiety. So if you do want to know more about that, go there. But yeah, performance anxiety, it it varies for every different person. Some people may have, um, you know, logical thoughts and know that they're going to do okay, but their body is telling them otherwise. So you got people on the other end of the spectrum as well and they just don't understand how to connect their mind and their body, um, which affects their performance. And then if their performance is affected one time, it may happen again in the next um, game or competition due to that experience. So, And then you've got like the whole performance anxiety coming back to sport from an injury. It Yeah, it's just that one is... You need to investigate it quite a lot and like talk to the the individual athlete um, to combat that. But 
it definitely, yeah, I, I'd say it's one of the most common um, factors that influences performance, I'd say. The next one is confidence. This one, you know, some people will say confidence shouldn't even be one of the factors <laughs> and it should be more about the competence of someone. So if you're not competent in something, then you're not confident. Uh, that's that. Let's that's okay. Let's let's unpack this a little bit here, all right? Because I I would love to know who who says that. <laughs> <laughs> um, practitioners in the industry for many many years. Well, so yeah, they believe that, which I can completely see that. I can completely see that as well. So if you're not competent in what you're doing, you're, I guess, not going to perform as well. And the confidence essentially comes from that com- competence. Which so is, that, if you're you know, not that, confident- like, logically that makes sense, except for, mm-hmm. and we, we let's unpack this a little bit more because mm-hmm. the, I literally just read this the other day. Confidence <laughs> was the number one predictor of performance outcomes mm-hmm. in athletes. Yeah. So- if we if we look at it like that, I guess both things can be correct in that. But if they're saying that yeah. competence is the main thing that assists with confidence, and then therefore mm-hmm. confidence is the main predictor of performance outcomes, yeah. But how kind of nitpicky are we going to get with this? <laughs> exactly, I see both ways, and I I personally believe it it's dependent on the individual. So how so? Yeah. Well, I've had clients where they're just not confident um, or they've lost confidence due to past performances, but that doesn't mean they're not competent to do it, right? Um, because they've done it before. It's just their confidence has decreased due to a bad performance or an injury or, you know, other mental health issues. Um, but I've also seen it where in other performances such as like maybe public speaking where people don't know the content properly, they're not competent enough in terms of what they know and then they don't feel confident enough to go out there and, um, yeah, public speak or do a presentation or something like that. So it's like yeah, the preparation so, of it all. So we... Because that, that's almost branching into imposter syndrome territory where mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. I don't know how many people you've seen that that are sort of openly admit to having imposter syndrome, but something that I've seen in, in the clients that I've seen over the years is, and I, I'm not, I'm not going to say never because I can't be exact on that, but I'm fair. I'm like 99.9% sure I've never had a bloke come and see me or a young fella and say, I've got imposter syndrome. I've always found it to be women that come in and say, I've, I've got imposter syndrome. And, and so many of mm-hmm. them are extremely competent at what they do. And there's still an imposter syndrome on top of that. So that's why this competence confidence thing for me is it's not that simple because I've had so many ridiculously yeah. high performing women come in and basically like not confident at all in what they do. Yeah. And it's, and then, but I'll have blokes come in who have no idea what they're doing and they're like, Oh yeah, all over it. 
Easy. Yeah. I don't know whether that's a societal thing or a biological thing, nature nurture. You know, we could open that can of worms another day. But um, yeah, just an observation. Have you noticed something like that as well? So I've worked with females only and I've also worked with males only. And I don't know, like confidence in, in the girls were, you know, they had so many abilities, but their confidence in themselves was was impacting their performance, you know, whether it was like image and things like that and and always comparing themselves to, to others. With the males I've worked with personally, it's um, they've got, I don't know, I feel like they secretly have the confidence issues, but they mask it a lot better. <laughs> and, and or a lot of them will be like, oh, I should be there. I'm better. <laughs> like, you know, like I should be at that level because I do this, this, this. Um, <laughs> I don't know, still working that one out, but I think it's a, it's a pretty interesting um, topic and every time I hear about it, I, I, you know, gather data from people to see, oh, like, you know, which side is it on? So I'm always wary of it and it does interest me quite a lot because it is like there's some people that don't believe confidence should be worked on (laughs) and there's others who do. So, yeah, I'm in the middle. I'm like I'm just, yeah, I see both sides and I'm at the stage where obviously I haven't worked with too many athletes so we'll definitely see as time goes on my opinion kind of form. That's That's a good place to be. Ultimate curiosity mm. all the time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I like that. All right, moving on. We've got focus and attention. Huge. Massive. Huge, huge, huge. Varies for, for different sports as well. You know, I'm working in cricket at the moment, so the attention and focus is like has to be quite insane because the games go for eight hours or can go for eight hours. And you're out there in the heat, you have to focus, but you also need little strategies to like get your mind off things in like, you know, two seconds and then refocus Mm. and keep your attention. So this one's one that I'm like working hard on at the moment and researching quite a lot into because of um, cricket. And yeah, I'm very interested in this one. Whereas in other sports, maybe... Um, like footy, your attention is is way different. Like you're always scanning the field for players to um, pass it to or um, people coming, running up against you. It's like you're always like split-second uh, decisions, whereas in cricket you're out there for a long time. There's a lot of decision-making, but also it's very slow <laughs> in training. So, yeah, what's your experience with that? Yeah, the focus and attention thing is cool because that sort of quadrant model of that internal, external, broad and narrow focus. So like mm-hmm. focus, attention, concentration, pretty much just lump them all into the same pile. When we talk about focus and attention or concentration, it's like you pointed out, the the length of time that the the competition or the game is running has a, has a big impact on where you're at with that sort of thing. So yeah, like something like cricket, where you're standing out there all day, that can just wreak havoc on on your cognitive energy. Because if you're 
if you're switched on, like overly switched on and trying to focus when you don't actually need to be, then well, that's not very helpful because you're essentially just draining all reserves that you have. You've got to be very good at sort of switching in and out of that focus. But the thing that I find fascinating about cricket is you, you get one one chance, like depending on what you're doing. Like if you're going out to bat, if you lapse in concentration for a split second at the wrong time, you're done. That's it. Hit the showers, right? Mm-hmm. It's rough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and footy's, yeah. footy's not, it's not so brutal in the sense because you've also got the rest of the team there to kind of back you up if you make a mistake. But it is also about being able to focus at the right time. So I think this is a big part of what doesn't really get spoke about enough is like, you know, you've got to focus and pay attention. Yeah, yeah, that's great. But you've also got to do it at the right time because otherwise... Yes, correct. You know, it's no good. 100%. That's why it's it's such an interesting topic and I reckon we'll come back to this um, and make a whole episode around it because uh, I am doing quite a lot of research around it. And, yeah, I'd like to share that with you guys. Uh, I don't know would be cool anyway the next one is motivation mm-hmm. love a good motivation <laughs> now motivation to get up in the morning motivation to do the sport motivation to perform it's it's probably one of the key things or like that you need as an athlete is the motivation <laughs> like that's your daily uh, battle like you always have to have motivation on on your list to do every day because you have training you have you know outside of training you have um gym work or physio or you know it's not just at the competitions it's everything you do around that and that's where motivation comes in and that's why it's so important motivation is a i find motivation fascinating to talk about because Mm-hmm. I, and you've heard, you've probably heard me say this a hundred times, but I describe it like waves. If you go to the beach, you know, if you travel down the peninsula here and you go to the ocean beach, it could be as flat as a tack today. There's no waves. And then every, yep. you know, next week we go down again and there's six foot and they're just bashing into the shore and it's like, all right, it's crazy. Motivation's a little bit the same way. Week to week, you don't really know how it's going to be. Like it's if if yep. it's there and you've got high levels of motivation at that time, then use them hundred percent. Go surfing, right? Essentially, when it's flat, don't bash yourself because you're not super motivated. Right? It comes and goes. Yeah. It's a bit like happiness. When it's there, make the most of it, acknowledge it. That's great. The rest of the time, do what you got to do. Right? In in the best way yep. that you can. Why one of the best things that I know for. Uh, to get a little spike in motivation to do stuff is a change in environment. That is probably my mm-hmm. number one tip. So if you're like, if you're going to the gym and it's getting a bit stale and you're doing the same workout, you know, over and over again, go to a new gym. Or if you're running and you go on the same run week in, week out, pick a new route. Like there's, there's yeah. tiny little things that you can do to adjust that, that can give you, just that, just that little spike in motivation to get it to sort of reignite the whole thing. And it doesn't have to be massive and it doesn't have to cost you a shitload yeah. of money either, but something small like that can be super helpful. Yeah. Motivation is interesting, especially the way I look at it, no one is motivated every day. No. And, and that is completely normal. But what's the end goal? You always have to come back to 
why you are doing the thing that you're doing. That's why having goals is important. What's the end goal? I wake up each morning. I'm like, oh, I don't want to do half the things I have to do today. <laughs> I want to train, but I will um, because there's the bigger picture. I guess you just have to think about and have goals to like, why are you doing this? What's yep. the end goal here? Or, you know, what are those little steps? Because, yeah, realistically, you're not going to feel motivated every day, but it is something that you just got to get done. Great topic, that one too. Uh, emotions. Next one is emotions. Oh, large topic as well. I feel like all of them are large topics. They're all they're all worthy of their own <laughs> podcast, really, their own discussion. I Yeah. Emotions is another interesting one for me, and that is uh, managing your emotions uh, especially during your performance. I did a whole paper on emotions during before and after performances or competitions. So whether that is, um, let's say you're in the Olympics and um, you're a swimmer <laughs> and you don't finish where you wanted to finish, but you have an, another competition the next day or two days later. I'm not sure how it exactly works, but how are you going to manage your emotions during that time to bring yourself back up in order to perform um, at your peak for the next one? So can we? Can I just? I need up. to share. Mm-hmm. I'm going to share a quick story because you've just you've just made me think about it. I I literally had this chat with a swimmer. I knew I would. You, you was a, um, swimmer a couple of weeks back, and um, basically what was happening was if the race wasn't going according to plan, there was a, uh, essentially like a experiential avoidance type behavior that was going on. So it was like, well, that sucked. Get me, get me out of here. Like, I just want to leave the pool and go back to wherever we're staying and just kind of like, it was almost like this go internal, right? Go inside the shell a little bit, try to forget about the whole thing. Yeah. As we were talking about it, it turned out that this person was reviewing the race after they got back to their accommodation. So race didn't go mm-hmm. according to plan. Let's review it and find out where I went wrong and what I can improve on and, and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. What we actually um, concluded in the end was that there was an association between, because sleep then got linked into it as well, where it was all of those mm-hmm. negative feelings of avoidance and everything and and feeling like they yep. failed came back to their accommodation with them, which did not set them up for uh, swim later later that night or the next morning because they they harbored all this yep. kind of stuff with them. So what we concluded was that it's probably quite helpful for them to review the race at the pool and sort of process and reflect while they're still in that environment so that when they leave, they've essentially left all of that behind. So it's like I'm ready to go mm-hmm. back to my accommodation and chill and you know nap and whatever else I've got to do, refuel, without feeling all of that yucky stuff they'd taken out of the race. It just made me Which think of that. So the emotional regulation stuff obviously yeah. then gets tied into a bunch of different things, but there's little yeah. there's little sort of tactics we can work out in consultation with the athlete, obviously, um, that can be very helpful for just processing stuff. Yeah. Yeah, because it is a heightened environment as well. Like there's a lot of things going on. So it is actually quite hard to process things at that time because after it, you're like doing another thing or doing another thing or, you know, but it 
back your money you're disappointed and you don't have the space and room to process it so yeah definitely coming up with those little strategies um during that time and during all that craziness um can help I guess when they do get home and start ruminating about things (laughs) yep interesting great thing speaking of sleep the next uh factor is sleep everyone needs sleep (laughs) yeah and and good quality sleep too i um i've recently bought a garmin because i was keen on tracking some of the health stats and it Mm -hmm. is fascinating to see what the actual stats say on the watch after a sleep versus how i feel so there's been a bunch Mm -hmm. of times where i've woken up and it says you you got great sleep last night and i've woken up thinking shit i'm tired (laughs) and then other times where i was like that was poor quality and i wake up thinking oh i feel really good today um yeah well there's a lot of research around that that sometimes those um watches and stuff can actually negatively affect your sleep because yeah you're waking up you're feeling fresh but you've got a score of 60 or 50 and you're automatically just get tired or down or you know fatigued in a way because um you've seen a number and I'm not sure how accurate they are either. Um, I haven't really looked into that, but I definitely know we did a lecture on sleep and how, yeah, sometimes it can mess with your mind. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, but it, yeah. But I mean, it's different for everyone. Like some people find it really helpful. Others, it may impact them more. I don't know. I feel like it's pretty 50-50. It just depends. Yeah. Yeah, I just, yeah. I'm, I've been looking at it as a thing is like, oh, okay, well, you know that's bullshit yeah <laughs> or, or yeah well, anyway. at least you can do that you know take it with a grain um, of salt yeah i can see how some people get sucked yeah. into it pretty quick though yeah but sleep is interesting in the sense that you before a performance you don't necessarily have to have like a perfect sleep to perform well like your body can um uh cope with a certain amount of sleep uh, before before and it won't affect your performance yeah. Uh, but yeah like obviously if you're playing for international teams you're going to be traveling uh, you're not going to be in the same environment that you usually sleep in uh, so we kind of help with scheduling those kind of or, or coming up with a new sleep routine because you might be in different time zones as well so yeah Things around sleep and performance are quite interesting in themselves as well. Um, have we done a sleep, sleep pod? The actors. No, we haven't. I don't think we have. No, but we should, we should do that, one because um, it, it, I feel like it's a it's a really important topic that we uh yeah that we should cover. Yeah, I think sleep is just important in general for for anyone like any type yeah. of performance. <laughs> so yeah, we should definitely get onto that. We'll do a full one. And the last one I have here is the group dynamics. Yeah, this will be its own podcast as well. We've already discussed this. Yeah. But do you want to go into a little bit um, of how group dynamics uh, affects performance? Uh, Yeah, very, very simply and sort of surface level. uh, Group dynamics is a very interesting topic, hence why we're going to do a whole one dedicated just to that. Mm -hmm. But essentially how how a group works together. So ideally you've got, the interactions between the group members and coaches or leaders of an organization, however the context is applied, 
basically to get everyone to work together towards a common goal to achieve that goal, mm-hmm. essentially. And and all the little intricacies that yeah. might happen in amongst that. So as you can see, like it's a it's quite a it can be quite a complex uh area to talk about. So we will Yeah, because there's different personalities in it. There's different hierarchies, egos, et cetera, et cetera. We'll get into it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll get into it another time. Yeah. So those are the factors that may affect performance. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for. But in the next episode, we're going to talk about um, the mental skills behind uh, all these factors, I suppose, or how to what we do to kind of help people manage these these factors um, and the the performance pyramid that goes with it. So yeah, yeah, stay tuned for that one. Stay tuned for that. <laughs> And thanks for listening in today. Thank you for listening and we'll catch you next week, I guess. See you, crew. See ya. Peace out.